Well, good evening. Um, well, again, uh, privileged to uh, be here, and thank you for coming out. Um, maybe before we start again, we can just ask the Lord for his help. Our Father, we're, again, grateful for your uh, love and kindness, mercy revealed to us in the person of your Son. Father, we're so thankful to be able to sing songs of um, the person and work of the Lord Jesus and what we have in him together. Father, we just pray now that by your Holy Spirit you would uh, bless our time, uh, that you would help us, and uh, that we would be encouraged together and built up. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we um, started this morning and uh, had what we would consider a bit of an introduction to uh, spiritual gifts, uh, tried to cover some uh, basic ideas. I think at the beginning it was uh, uh, we, we sought to come up with a working definition of what a spiritual gift might be, uh, linked with that, of course, the distinction between uh, talents, uh, spiritual gift, and spiritual fruit, or the fruit of the Spirit. Now, uh, it might seem uh, redundant or, or, or an issue to emphasize this, but I, I think it is important uh, to see this distinction between uh, talent and spiritual gifts. The idea that spiritual gift is given for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. If what I'm doing does not build up the body of Christ, I am not exercising my spiritual gift. Now, that's not too strong of a statement, but it's true, right? At least I believe that's true. Do you agree? You know, if I'm not building in and building up, that is not exercising my gift. Now, it's possible. Um, it's possible. You know, Henry Moorhouse. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Henry Moorhouse. Is anybody familiar with Henry Moorhouse? Henry Moorhouse was one of the early brethren. He was um, uh, uh, the boy preacher, they called him. D.L. Moody met him in... Uh, you remember that story? D.L. Moody met him in uh, England when he went over there on a gospel campaign and remember uh, Henry Moorhouse had volunteered to come over and preach in Chicago and Moody said the boy can't preach he doesn't even have a beard how can you preach without a beard and so uh, that's the story Henry Moorhouse came to Chicago and preached seven straight nights on John 3 verse 16 if you remember that's in the beginning of Moody's biography this was uh, life changing to him actually uh, Henry Moorhouse had had preached uh, two nights already on John 3.16 before Moody had heard him. And when he got home on Saturday, he said to his wife, um, how does the uh, young Englishman preach? She said, well, actually, he's not English. He's Irish. Oh, he said, I met him in England. I assumed he was an Englishman. She says, no, he's from Ireland. Um, and so he, uh, Moody said, well, how does he preach? She says, well, frankly, he's quite good, but he's not like you. <laughs> and so uh, Moody said he could feel his ire come up. What do you mean he's not like me? His wife said, well, he tells the people that God loves them. And he proves it from the word of God. And so Moody, he, he went out and basically would say in disbelief because he didn't believe that. He believed that up to that point in his, his ministry that God was behind the sinner with the sword of justice ready to strike him dead. And uh, Moody said he went out and, and he said as he listened to this young man um, preach about the love of God. Changed his life. Moore, uh, Henry Moorehouse stayed on and and um, and taught uh, Moody and the elders of his church to uh, study the Word of God. And so uh, Henry Murhouse uh, made this statement, and that's what we're getting to. Uh, just trying to add some credibility to who he was as a as a man. 
as a minister of the gospel, he spoke on the prodigal son as a series, uh, uh, a little booklet, a little Bible notes, uh, messages that he gave. And he has one in there on the prodigal son. And he asked the question, when did the prodigal son become a prodigal? When would you say? He said, what, when he was in the far off land? <laughs> no, when he was in his father's house. He'd already come up with what he was going to do. He just didn't have the resources yet to do it. So Henry Moore's point is this, that that you can be a prodigal in the Father's house. You could be a prodigal right where you're seated tonight. And you know what else he said? You could be a prodigal standing right here where I am. And so, although we, this is the point we want to make, although sometimes a man's gifts, make room, it makes room for him, we still need to emphasize that it's a work of the Spirit of God. People, Christians, need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's of no value. And so a man's gift or a person's gift, it's energized by the person of the Holy Spirit. So we want to again make a distinction between gift and talent because, hey, there's lots of talented people in the world. right? They were born with that talent. And there's lots of good speakers, right? Lots of good speakers in the world. Hey, you know who one of the best speakers in the U.S. is? Mr. Obama. He's a good speaker. Is that true? Hey, Mr. Clinton was a good speaker, wasn't he? And he still is. You know that people pay him thousands of dollars to hear him speak subjects. Now, hey, we don't agree with any of their theology if they even have any, but they've got talent. What we're looking for is the exercise of spiritual gift empowered by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so... Uh, God has given us, the triune God we saw this morning has given us spiritual gifts and so we need to exercise them distinct from talents. And we're going to see that, I hope, develop as we move through. Um, we made the statement that, uh, that Christian maturity is not gauged by giftedness. We made the statement that some uh, 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 seldom if ever are the most gifted. I was just quoting Mr. A.M.S. Gooding. Seldom if ever are the most gifted, the most Christ-like. And that's a challenge. And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about. That often there is division in the body. Even the, the idea of he uses the physical body, that metaphor of the physical body. Uh, but there is competition in the body. And so we want to think about that a little bit more. Uh, so Christian character maturity is measured not by giftedness, but by the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Fruit of the Spirit, Christ, Christ-likeness, how I'm being changed into the image of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we said that gifts were important. The study of the gifts were important because of... Um, Romans uh, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. What did they have in common? Uh, the triune God involved in the giving, right? We had that from Romans 12, God the Father. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, God the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 4, God the Son. All involved in the giving of spiritual gifts. Um, where do we go after that? Well, um, hey. I said to my wife, hey, you should write my outline out for me so that I could keep on track because, you know, I, I have trouble with that. But she said someday she will, but not she hasn't done it yet. But um, uh, we talked about, hey, the importance of the study of gifts because of so much abuse in the world. In the Christian world, there's a lot of abuse, the spiritual gifts. Hey, and that's really what's happening in First Corinthians. 
that that the that the spectacular gifts had been exalted. Those gifts that would exalt a person, right? Uh, the spectacular tongues, uh, miracles, healings. Um, uh, Mr. Zodiades in his book, he has a he really has a textbook on First Corinthians chapter twelve. It's two volumes, and he's a he's a he's a. It took him five years, he said, to work through this this work on First Corinthians twelve. He makes a statement that um, I this profound. You know that what's never said of the Corinthians in First Corinthians. That Corinthian church, he said, it's never said that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Hey, do you say about the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts? Can you think of a time? Hey, well, we had one this morning, didn't we? Didn't we have, didn't we read somewhere? And uh, just a minute, let me picture. Acts 3. Where were we in Acts 3? Who read that? Where was that? That was here, right? Peter and John. And what was Peter? Who read that? Is he here? Yes. Right. And what was it? What did it say? They were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Hey, not not baptized. That had already happened. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is distinct from filled with the Holy Spirit. And these men, when they when they preached in the book of Acts, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Mr. Zodiades makes the statement that that's never said of the Corinthians in the whole epistle. So we'd be sensitive for, or, or, or cautious to, to build our theology on gifts just from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Right? Again, it's the closest we in the statement to the book of Acts. And so there is definitely a transition uh, happening. Um, uh, then we finished off this morning with this idea, if you don't use it, you will lose it. You think that's true? I mean, it sounds kind of strong. I mean, we read this um, uh, this story, the, this parable the Lord Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 of the uh, the talents given and then taken away because of lack of use. Uh, let's turn, if we could, and we'll look at another verse as we consider this idea, not using. And then losing, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I guess I, I like to say too, just by way of uh, sidebar, uh, we live in a day and age where um, we're into the instant, right? We want things and we want them now. Uh, the shortest, you know, the shortest way uh, to destination is a straight line. And so anything that we can get, that we can get instantly, uh, instant gratification. Well, often people will come up and ask me, uh, how do I tell? Are you going to tell me how I can tell what my spiritual gift is? That's nearly impossible to do. First of all, it's a spiritual exercise, and it's a spiritual exercise personally. Um, you know, we haven't always, uh, I wasn't always walking with the Lord, although I had a, an, I was saved as a young boy, saved when I was you know, somewhere between 10 and 12, and uh, brought into the assembly. Uh, I got away when I was uh, 18 and was gone till I was uh, 32. Uh, what brought me back was, 
what brought me back to the Lord was my wife's salvation. She was saved at 30. And so we haven't, she's not lived her life in the assembly. She knows uh, none of the things or wasn't raised in many of the things you guys take or people in the assembly take for granted. You know, Bible teaching even as a, a Sunday school scholar. And so um, I remember uh, coming home one day from work and Cindy said, I did a survey on the Internet to find out my gift. I said, well, that's cool. What is your gift? She says, I'm an apostle. And so, of course, I said, well, uh, that's good. Obviously, living with your own apostle would have huge advantages. Um, But I said, I doubt that's actually the case. And so... Hey, my experience, it's not a survey that's going to give it to you. Asking the preacher uh, what your spiritual gift is is not going to help you. It's a spiritual exercise. And so uh, Tiernus Wilson has a little bit of a breakdown he uses for preaching. First, desire. He gets that from the end of 1 Corinthians. Desire. Do you desire to know what your spiritual gift is? And so, hey, often... People who've asked me, I said, hey, just out of interest, how many books you read on spiritual gifts? The most anybody's ever said is one. Most say none. So my question is, hey, is that is it really your desire? Like, do you really desire to know what your spiritual gift is? Because, hey, if it was anything else, we live in the age of information. Or whatever it is, you can watch a YouTube video on it, or you can look on Wikipedia, or you, there's lots of ways to access information. So, first, desire. And that desire will be evidenced by the things we do to get to there. So, if my desire is to know my spiritual gift, God will give me that. And so, what do I desire it? Uh, Terrence Wilson says, then discover. And then develop. That's the order. So desire. It starts with desire. So we're not going to uh, to answer the question. Uh, is there going to be a survey at the end of this? No. And we're using hey again the idea of First Corinthians chapter twelve, uh, thirteen, fourteen. That there's really not much listed there. They're just two short lists in 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 First Corinthians twelve. Most of most of the passages how the gifts operate. How they work together, their value, uh, exhortation, encouragement to discover these things and to use them in the assembly. So we're not going to have uh, a survey. All right, let's. Um, we're still on that subject of using, losing, and we're going to uh, look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation, he says, of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the says the manifestation, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And so the word manifestation, we're told, is this idea of a lantern or a light. That God gives the gives spiritual gifts to us that we might be a lamp or a lantern, light to those around us. You know the um, the church at Ephesus was gifted, not like the church at Corinth. But, you know, Ephesians 4 was written in regards to the church at Ephesus. And so they had gift there. Is it possible for that light to go out? Do you think that the, uh, the Ephesian believers used their gifts? Did they continue to use their gifts? Well, hey, you know, we know more about the church at Ephesus than any New Testament church. Is that true? Think about that. Well, hey, we know where they started. And we have two epistles written to them, right? Is that true? 
Second Ephesians. What's second Ephesians? Revelation 2. Revelation 2. Hey, we have two apostles writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. I mean, that's pretty outstanding when you think about it. And so, hey, John's letter to the Ephesians, what's he, what's he challenging them on? Their love and their what? Their lampstand is about to be what? Removed. So, so I, I say this morning, hey, if you don't use it, you could lose it. I say, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. I say, well, hey, maybe that's, that's true. But we certainly see the principle in Scripture. You know, we read this morning Matthew chapter 25 of the talents being taken from one and given to the other, who, uh, to the men who would use it. Um, we see it with the church at Ephesus. The lampstand, that light, that manifestation of the Spirit, if you will, was about to be removed. And so we don't want to squander. We want to stir up. And so, hey, maybe this is an exhortation to myself to get busy. You know that uh, if something is taken away, well, thankfully, God in his mercy can give back. You know, even, uh, even the, the years the locusts ate. We rejoice in that, right? That God is still able to do that. Uh, Paul says here in this verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 7, uh, for the, manifest, the manifestation of the Spirit given for the profit of all. This helps us. Um, you know, actually in 1 Corinthians 12, the word that he uses is division. You know, this defies uh, economics. Body of Christ, you get by giving. The more you give away, the more you have. And so that's the word division. It's division. It's this idea of dividing. Um, it's a principle of Scripture. Right? John chapter 6. What happens in John chapter 6? 25,000 men, women, boys and girls fed. Five loaves, two fish. Was it from a mega loaf of barley? No. It was from five little loaves. How did five little loaves feed 25,000 people? As they were broken and distributed. Wasn't this loaf that the Lord made that was big enough to feed a multitude? It was as broken as it was given away. Um, The widow's oil. How did it multiply? As she what? Poured out the oil into vessels. As you give, you get. And that's the challenge in the world today. Um, The world today is looking for love, trying to get love. What aren't they doing? They're not giving love. And so that's the principle of Scripture. For the profit of all, it says it's given away. Uh, Zodiades uses the illustration as we think about this idea of um, even the smallest thing in the universe. An atom. One of the smallest things in the universe. Its strength comes in what? Dividing it. Right? If you split an atom, what happens? If you... Split an atom into two. Well, you have a... Well, hey, they... Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a naval base, but um, have you ever been to one of these uh, nuclear sub-bases and seen some of the things that those things are able to do? I mean, stay under for a whole year. Powered by what? Nuclear power. What is nuclear power? Is ba- I'm not... Hey, I'm not a nuclear physicist. But this idea of division. And so... The body of Christ as you give away, that's the point. And so uh, we make the, the statement that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. But as you give it away, as you use your gift, it's developed and it grows. Okay. Um, 
we want to try and work through uh, some of the various passages. Let's turn to uh, a couple of references to gifts in uh, Timothy. Paul mentioned spiritual gifts twice in the letters to Timothy. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says to Timothy in verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And so uh, Paul says that there's salvation for Timothy in the exercise of his gift. What does that mean? Salvation from sin? No, salvation from a wasted life, right? Sometimes when the Bible talks about salvation, it's this idea of being saved from a wasted life, right? In fact, that's what Bill McDonald uh, would say is, is happening in Matthew chapter 7, that uh, that broad road that leads to destruction is very likely, it's a, it's a passage, he says. I mean, he always gives you two ideas, right? And I appreciate that. But I would suggest that he leans towards this idea of it being a passage on discipleship, that a Christian can waste his life. That's what destruction is. Certainly we have that at the end of the book of James, right? Uh, that soul that is saved from sin, right? Saved from death. Well, what kind of a person is it? It's a Christian. Brethren, if any of you, he says, be overtaken. And somebody restore such a one. Saves that soul from death. And so sometimes salvation from a wasted life. And so this is what I suggest Paul is writing to Timothy about this idea of what we've been already thinking about, that it can be wasted. And so he's exhorting him to stir it up and to apply himself. Apply himself to the things of God. Now, hey, we know that it's a challenge. Um, it's more of a challenge in this day than any other day. Right? I mean, uh, I have a friend who uh, is a businessman in our area. And uh, he's very aware of how things work and how much it takes to support a family. He says, hey, Rob, what used to be 40 is at least 50 now. Uh, you have to work more than 50 hours a week just to maintain. Oh, he's not, not to get ahead in life, just to maintain. And so there, there's a huge workload. I'm not professing to uh, preach against uh, materialism or anything like that. I, I, I don't know how it happens exactly, but I understand the idea that people have to work. And there's all these challenges that men didn't have in the past. Uh, they had their challenges, but today they're different. But the principle here that Paul is writing to Timothy is, is fully giving yourself over to. You know, I remember a story of a brother who was well used in the gospel, Charles Stanley, gospel incidents. He, uh, his whole life was a, he was a culpator selling books from door to door. And he said, you know, sometimes, sometimes before he'd have to preach, he'd have five minutes. That's all. He'd have preach a message at night. I mean, I don't know if you've, have you seen this uh, book, uh, Incidents in Gospel Work, right? So, you know, hey, this... Hey, what he did was out. It was out. Well, hey, it was miraculous. I mean, he saw miracles regularly in his life, uh, and so this is some of the incidents he records. And he says in there that 
Sometimes he had five minutes to prepare a message. What do you do if you got a message and you got five minutes to prepare? <sighs> Try and come up with an outline? He says, pray. That's all he had time to do. He said, but the Lord knew his time. He knew how full his day was. And I said, the Lord would use him in power. The Lord knows what amount of things we need to get done in a day. He's aware of it. And so he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know how much time it takes, but give yourself fully to these things. Uh, don't neglect that gift. Then we have this idea here that um, it was laid on. There's the laying on of hands. Now, uh, laying, ha- laying on of hands of the eldership in verse 14. And then if you turn over one page uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 6, uh, he says, Second uh, Timothy one verse, uh, uh, sorry, Second Timothy one verse six. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So we have the laying on of the hands of the eldership, and we have the laying on of the hands of the apostle Paul. What does it mean? Uh, well, I'm going to suggest it could have more than one meaning. But I believe it has the idea of identification. That's what's happening here. There's identification going on. That's what happened certainly in the priesthood and Leviticus as the laying on of the hands. The, there was identification associated with sin identified with the animal. Yes, there was transference for sure, but there was identification. And that's a huge challenge in the world today. So we have two relationships here. We have the elder The elders linked with Timothy, the laying on of hands. And we have Paul linked with Timothy. And again, the laying on of hands identification. What was Paul's relationship to Timothy, would you say? Father to a son, right? That's what he was. He was a father to a son. Um, The elders to Timothy, well, that's an assembly relationship. And so we have this idea of the the challenge today of, of families, fathers, mothers identifying with their children. I mean, that's really what Proverbs chapter 22 is writing about, right? Train up a child in the way he should go. What does the word way mean? David, you're an expert on this. What is it? What is, what's your thoughts on Proverbs 22, verse 6? The understanding the bent of that child so that you can encourage that direction. Right, right. Okay, and so, so he says that it's the parent that's best suited to that. Why? Okay, yeah, a personal illustration. Years ago, uh, a sister, well enough meaning in our assembly, uh, reprimanded my daughter. And, uh, hey, what she said was true. But it was devastating to my daughter. Why? No relationship, I'm going to suggest. And so I, I went to the sister. I worked through it with my daughter a little bit. And I went to the sister. I said, I appreciate your care for uh, my daughter and your concern for her behavior. Uh, I would just ask one thing. Um, if you see it again, please tell me and I'll be I'll be glad to deal with it. Um, not that we're against um, uh, disciplining other people's children, although that's a real challenge. I don't suggest you try that because that can be bad. But I said, let me do that. Why? Why could I do it? Why could I say something that she couldn't? Relationship. Hey, one of the big challenges uh, in the assembly, I know so Mike Atwood, um, you know, who's here, I see his picture on a brother reminded me of him. And, you know, he uh, he was at our house just recently and he said he feels a, um, a real challenge in the assemblies today is that uh, people working in areas in which they're not gifted to do. 
And that's a challenge. Why are they doing that? Well, nobody's uh, been able to uh, be honest with them, right? You know, my friend Jabe says, uh, the most valuable two square feet of real estate in the assembly is... The most valuable two square feet of real estate in the assembly. Where is it? Where do you think? Huh? <laughs> well, it should be. But most people think right here. Right here. This is the most valuable piece of real estate in the whole assembly. Right? Right here. Preaching. That's what it's at. That's where it's at. You know, um, my friend Jack says, Rob, read through the Gospels. See the things the Lord Jesus taught his disciples. Make a list of them, if you will. He says, you're going to see it's more than 20 things the Lord Jesus taught his disciples how to do. Preaching was one. It's just one. Hey, there are, listen, there are, there are gifts in the assembly, and you need a gift to minister the word. But there are tens of thousands of people gifted that could do a better job than what I'm doing right now. I know that. And here, too. So... That's not what builds a work. I have a friend uh, up the road, Albany, Georgia. You know where Albany, Georgia is? My friend Bobby Marshall is an elder there. Uh, Lester Wilson. Do you know who Lester Wilson is? Lester Wilson was associated with Welcome Detweiler and uh, Harold McKay. They had what was called the Piedmont model. The evangelist would move in and start the work, and then the, 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 the teacher would come in, and he would teach, and the pastor would come in and, and pastor the people, and they'd see the works grow. And, hey, that worked for many years. And then at the end, they all kind of parked and did their own thing. Or not, I didn't say they weren't together, but, but um, Lester Wilson finished in Albany. He spent the last 25 years of his life preaching in the Albany Gospel Chapel. Uh, when we went there on the good, with the good news on the move, uh, Bobby Marshall said to me, Rob, there's more than 150 Baptist churches in Albany, Georgia. Well, Sherwood Baptist, you know what Sherwood Baptist is, right? That's the makers of Fireproof and that. They're, they're there. That's just one of the 150 plus Baptist churches. He said, Rob, any Sunday, hands down, the best preacher in Albany, guess who? Lester Wilson. They got it up on the... They had it. It's not there now. They had this... Uh, you see this attendance. You know, sometimes you got this attendance record in the side of a... You know, you know what I'm talking about? They had it up there. Easter Sunday, 408. 408. He said, Rob Lester Wilson went home to heaven. The second best preacher in Albany became the best. Six months later, it's like 55 people in the assembly. Preaching doesn't build the assembly. It's just one of the various gifts. And so Paul is, Paul is showing that in the, in, the, in the whole development of the body, that metaphor that he uses, uh, that there is this need, uh, amongst, uh, a need amongst the believers for exercise, spiritual wisdom, and the... Um, the, well, in this point, we we're thinking of this identification. I guess that's what the point we were trying to make. We got a little bit off there. Identification. So uh, a father to a son in the first example, and then elders uh, to Timothy. And so men who are invested, people who are invested in the lives of others, helping to identify spiritual gifts. And so uh, Bill McDonald says this as well. He said, you know, go to a brother. 
or a sister who's spiritually mature who you will appreciate and ask them to help you with this. That could be linked with this idea of desire, discovering your spiritual gift. All right, let's turn to um, uh, Romans chapter 12. And make a few more comments. Um, now, this, of course, is the, the practical section of the uh, book of Romans. And uh, the whole of chapter 12 is, is, is useful. Uh, Let's start in verse uh, 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So now I like to stop and make this comment. What was the problem in Corinth? Well, it was, there were lots of problems. So to say one, it would be a real challenge to come up with one problem. There were lots of problems in Corinth. Um, how was the church in Rome, the assembly in Rome, what were they like? If you had to describe the assembly in Rome, what would you say? I would say thriving, based on Romans chapter 1. They were thriving as a work, right? Uh, they had gospel testimony, right? Uh, the gospel went out to the whole world from there. Their testimony was spoken of, that their, that their life matched their, their lip or their life matched the way they talked. Um. They had doctrine. I mean, Paul is establishing him in the gospel. Clearly, they knew these things. And so the assembly is thriving. And so Paul is going to give one warning. What's the warning? Right here. Now, this is not written to Corinth. This is written to Rome, to the church at Rome, the assembly at Rome, that not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Why would people have to be told that, do you think? Because that's what we do. And that's the whole point of the metaphor of the body. That Paul says the things that exist in the body of Christ don't exist in the physical body. They don't exist there. And so people have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. So this is his warning. He says, uh, to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in the one body or in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality and so on. And we could read to the end of the chapter, but uh, the distinction we like to make here is um, spiritual gift and general responsibility. It's important to emphasize this. Um, you know, the example has been given that 
somebody uh, drops a Kleenex on the floor in the assembly and so and so, brother or sister, bends over to pick it up and people say they have the gift of health. Right? What does that mean? Well, they can do that. I don't want to do that. Is that what that means? Is that what they have the gift of helps? Well, hey, one distinction we could make is which we tried to establish at the beginning. Listen, if you can pay somebody to do it, it's not a spiritual gift. Right? You could pay a custodian to pick up that Kleenex, could you not? Of course you could. It's not a spiritual gift. That's not the gift of helps. We try to emphasize that, hey, whatever these gifts are, and we're going to get to that list, hey, they're spiritually empowered. They're building in the body of Christ spiritually. Now, hey, don't get me wrong. We shouldn't have to hire a custodian to pick that up. Anybody should be willing to do that. That's general responsibility. And so Paul has a long list of what would be conceived as a general responsibility. In fact, in fact, almost all the gifts, if not all of them, could be linked to this concept of general responsibility. I mean, there's the gift of mercy. So is it only the Christians who have the gift of mercy who are merciful? Every Christian should be merciful. The gift of giving should be just those who have the gift of giving. Or should every Christian be giving? Teaching. Should every Christian be teaching? Yeah, in some sphere. Right? Like, I mean, this is a bit of a, a um, difficult one, but can a sister have the gift of teaching? Can she? You think she can? Like, I mean, the biblical gift of teaching. That's what I'm talking about. What do you think? Sure. Of course she can. But the sphere, and that's what we're going to get to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Would she ever have, would this be her place? No. And that's not a slam against her. That's not her sphere of service. She has a ministry given. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the Spirit gives gifts. The Lord Jesus gives ministries. He's the one who does that. He chooses that ministry. And so, yes, she could have the gift of giving. But then, or sorry, the gift of teaching. Uh, uh, But then all have, at different times in their life, this responsibility, right? To shepherd and to teach and to give and to be merciful. And so what we're talking about here is this special ability. And we try to emphasize that that at the beginning when we thought about definitions. This God-given special ability to build into the body of Christ. And so uh, the emphasis here, um, general responsibility and spiritual gift, there is a distinction. Right? Is this is this okay? Is this we doing okay with this, Malcolm? Where are we at? You got any comments? No, but you're doing well so far. <laughs> well, he's kind of a raw, raw, raw kind of a guy, eh? Hey, what about any comments? Has anybody got any comments on this, David? We okay? What are you thinking? You're thinking, right? Just not. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Surprised he doesn't say Jesus. Usually in Sunday school, when I preach at camps, that's the answer. Kids, hey, if they don't think Jesus, hey, listen, more than half the time it's right. But in life it's always right, isn't it? But so, okay, so the distinction here, Romans 12, uh, is general responsibility and spiritual gifts. Okay, let's get a point from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Something we've already been thinking about, but let's base it now on the word of God. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 begins with now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so 
Uh, the word we're told is ignoramuses. It's not a very appealing word, but that's what Paul is talking about. And so the now is a word of contrast, right? So what's he contrasting uh, the spiritual gifts of chapter 12 to? Well, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And what is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about? Well, it's about things you can see, right? So what are some of the things you can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? What are some of them? You can see these things. Huh? Head covering, you can see it. What's the other half of that? Oh, let's say the head covering. You got So you can see the head covering and the other half of it is? The uncovered head. Okay, good. So there's always two parts, right? So that's good. So we can see the head covering and we can see the uncovered head. Okay, what's something else we can see that's physical in 1 Corinthians 11? The elements, absolutely. Yeah, is that what you said too? Yeah, yeah, the elements, the bread and the wine, the cup, right? The bread, the cup, things we could see, right? That's the contrast, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now it's spiritual things. So the point is this, it's that inner working. It's not, you can't see it. Hey, the best things in life, the things that are going to last forever, you can't see. It's hard to conceive of. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. Hey, if you can see it, if you can see it, what is it? Hey? Temporal. temporal. That's right. If you can see it, it's temporal. He's talking about now the eternal things. That's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Eternal things. Uh, verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Now again... Uh, it's important to, to, to be reminded of Paul's thought flow. How do these things connect together? Where does this verse come in? What has this got to do with anything? Well, I'm going to suggest to you uh, what it has to do with was the idea of the problem in the assembly at Corinth was they were bringing their old ideas with them. They were bringing baggage, right? They were all idol worshipers and they were bringing that baggage with them. And so that's why they were putting huge emphasis on the spectacular, because that's what they were familiar with. You think the world is interested in the spectacular? Hey, that's what they perceive Christianity to be. Money mongers and, and uh, smoke and mirrors and lights and ways to make money. I mean, that's what they perceive Christianity to be. And so Paul is saying now the concerning spiritual, we've already thought about the temporal. The things are the things we could see with our eyes, the physical things in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now we're going to talk about spiritual and they're unseen. So he's very, very careful about bringing your old ideas with you. Think that's possible? Listen, I was... Uh, in a, an assembly not that long ago and um, we were talking about the book of the Revelation and the rapture of the church and um, where that fits in and one of the sisters uh, got very upset and she said to one of the brothers who's in my presence sitting there she said, you know, I've heard enough of this she said, we've always been all millennialists we've never believed that We've always been taught the opposite. And I thought to myself, but you weren't even converted in those days. They were saved out of a cult. But her idea of what the rapture was and her interpretation of it was linked with what she experienced in the past. And so she brought that with her. And so we want to be careful of that, right? That, that um, 
our interpretation of the gifts, how we understand this is based on the Word of God, the Spirit of God. We don't bring ideas over. Hey, there's lots of ideas out in the world that are good and that would work in business. But the assembly is not a business. Now, I'm not saying, hey, hey, anything that's right out there is often based on the Word of God. That's true, right? You know, DuPont is a you know, 3M, a massive company. Uh, uh, my brother went to a seminar, and here's a skilled uh, orator speaking about business principles. And his opening remark was, he said, listen, I don't know where you stand spiritually. It doesn't matter. He said, I don't care. He said, but the principles we're going to be talking about today for business come from a man named Moses. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this book. It's the Bible. That's where we're getting it for. He said, but I, that's the end of that. that was his preface to his, his talk. And so, hey, God's wisdom works. We understand that. But we don't bring those things over. It's not a business. And so we want to make sure that whatever we're working through, that it's based on the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Um, he says this at verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's the take-home point. That Jesus is Lord. And anything that doesn't exalt His person, that doesn't exalt His work, His character, isn't from the Lord. And so, again, we come back to this idea that we try to emphasize. Listen, if it's a spiritual gift and it's empowered by the, uh, the Spirit of God in my life, it's going to build up. It's not going to destroy. Right? And it's going to exalt the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is foundational. These are foundational ideas to understanding 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Right? That Jesus is Lord. He is the head of the church. It's his body we're working in. And so, um, again, these are just, uh, we'll get, as we said, to the list. And, and I guess we'll, we'll not get through the list. It'd be impossible. And if you read books on uh, spiritual gifts, you'll find that many have uh, different interpretations of them. But, I'm, again, I'm going to emphasize, as you think about them, and I'll give you one, to, one example. We talked about the gift of helps, right? It's not being helpful. Hey, there's lots of helpful people that are in my life. I know lots of people that are helpful who aren't even Christians. Do you know people that are helpful? So it's not that. It's got to be more. It's got to be spiritual. Um, administration. Hey, I know lots of people who are good organizers, right? You know people who can organize. Well, that's not what it is. It's different. I'm not saying it's not included in there. But um, Jabe has a message, and you could get online and listen to it. Uh, it was at uh, Vessels of Honor, I think, in '09, And he says, hey, remember, this is the principle that these are spiritual things. They're spiritual empowered. So he suggests that the gift of helps is that gift that helps others to exercise their gift. Think that exists, something like that? The gift of helps is not being helpful. It's that gift that helps others to exercise their gift. Hey, I'm here not because of who I am. Not just because of the Lord, obviously. I'm here because of my wife. Not just because she drove most of the way, although she did. Um, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. Hey, I remember sitting, I don't know how many years ago it was, sitting in my living room on the floor, and she said uh, to me, I'm done. I'm like, done what? She said, done reading the Bible. I said, which part? She said, the whole thing. I'm like, is that even possible? Like, you can read that whole thing? Like, how long does that take? I mean, I've been a Christian for years. 
I've never read the whole Bible. And praise God, I'm almost done with her encouragement. Well, okay, yeah, I have been done. But anyways, Malcolm, he's in shock about that. Yeah, he's not laughing because that, quite frankly, is not funny. But anyways, uh, the gift of helps. Hey, it's a spiritual gift. It's not just being helpful. Do you agree with that part? So it's that person who has that ability to help others to exercise their gift. Okay, administration. It's not just being able to organize. Hey, we need that in the assembly. But lots of people are organized. The gift of administration is that gift that helps the gifts to work in unison and work together. Hey, that's a huge challenge. Hey, the evangelist, he moves into the assembly. What's he see? You guys aren't doing enough evangelism. That's what he sees, right? That's all he sees. Can't handle the assembly. They don't do any evangelism. Hey, often if you're the person who sees that problem, maybe that's the gift the Lord has given you and you need to get motivated in that area. But so the gift of administration is that spiritual gift I'm going to suggest. And that's what Jabe says. This ability, this God-given ability to keep the gifts working in unison. And he tells a story of an assembly, three elders up the East Coast somewhere, I don't know where. Three elders in the assembly, two huge personalities and one brother in the middle. He said that was the brother who held that Assembly together, really. He was the one that held those leaders together, working in unison. He was taken home to heaven. Guess what happened? The assembly shut down. He, he suggests that brother had the gift of administration, able to work or, or, or to help the gifts to work in unison or work together. So that's just a suggestion, something for you to think about through the week. Um, again, uh, we're going to have a QA. and uh, a With regards to spiritual gifts, I have more Q's than A's. And, uh, but, hey, we can work through it together. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. Uh, We're thankful uh, for your Holy Spirit who is our teacher. Father, we uh, remember uh, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come, would comfort uh, your disciples and would remind them of everything that you said and would bring those things back to their mind. Father, we're grateful that we have the whole counsel of, of God, that we have the apostles' doctrine, the things that they taught. We just ask that you would help us as we move through our Christian journey, that you would help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that you would cause a growth in the body here at um, Boulevard Bible Chapel, cause growth in the lives of the individual believers too. Father, growth in my life. We ask that you would uh, just bless us tonight. Thank you for the time together. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.